Morning, everybody. I'm going to read a very familiar passage at the start of the sermon. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and surprisingly a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It's absolutely amazing how many of those seasons, I guess, many of us have been asked to walk through over the last two weeks or so. And I guess that's a sign of just how emotionally hectic I'm sure many, have, many people have experienced these two weeks because of all those different things coming at us, highs and lows coming at us, constantly, as John was saying a few moments ago. As a preaching team this morning, and just to give you a heads up, there are going to be four of us giving devotions of about five minutes each, more or less, and there's two brand spanking new uh, faces that will be in the pulpit today. I'm really excited to have you guys with us in the pulpit. But we want to pick up on just one of those areas, our heart as the preaching team this morning revolves around the fact that we firmly believe that there are many people that need to be encouraged today, that need to be built up today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 3 from that passage we just read says there's a time to tear down and a time to build. And we want to ask you to please allow us to try our best to bring God's Word to you in such a way this morning that encourages you that builds you up somehow, that strengthens you. You don't need to do anything. You simply need to allow God's Word this morning to minister to your heart and your soul, hopefully to give you more courage and a bit more strength to face tomorrow and the day afterwards. So we're each going to choose a verse or passage of Scripture that, that has been meaningful to me. And the verse that I'm going to be going to is Romans chapter 8, verse 37. This is what that little gem of a verse says. Very familiar again. It says, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Here's the bottom line truth of that verse. Whatever your situation, whatever your situation, and that's a very broad, broad statement, isn't it? Whatever your situation, 
whatever you're facing, no matter how daunting or intimidating or scary your perspective is right now, the bottom line truth that verse reminds us is that you have what it takes to conquer that and to be victorious over it. If you look at that verse again, I'm going to ask Dev just to put it back on the screen. If you look at that verse just before this verse that we're reading now, we read other verses that, that provide a context for this verse. It speaks of trouble and hardship. It speaks of persecution and famine. It speaks of nakedness and danger and sword. Pretty much a whole list that could have described what many people were afraid of or were actually experiencing a week or so ago. And so those are the kinds of things that provide the context for this verse that you see on the screen. Here's the key that unlocks this verse, though. It's absolutely critical that we see that there's something in that verse that actually gives it a real sense and strength. It says we are conquerors, not because we have an inner strength that is invincible or because of a paycheck or because of anything else. We are conquerors, here's the key of the verse, through him who loves us. That is why we are conquerors, because of the love of our Savior. Notice Paul doesn't mean our love to Christ. He's talking about Christ's love to us. That's the unmovable thing. That's the zone, the love of Christ for us that gives birth to strength and to hope and to courage for a new day. There is nothing, nothing in this world that can stop Christ from looking at us with love and responding to us with love. There's no denying, folk, that these horrific things that many have experienced in our community and outside of our community, there's no denying that, that we have encountered powers that are able to, to separate us and to wound us. They're horrible powers. They can separate us for a, for a period of time from things like joy. They can wound us in such a way that we look for hope and we can't find hope, no doubt, these, these terrible things that we've experienced or witnesses, witnessed can, can really deal us a blow. They can do everything, but they cannot touch our soul and that zone that receives the love of Christ. As someone once said, it's like when the frost comes and it browns the leaves and it freezes overflowing rivers, and it casts mist and darkness over the land. But whatever the frost does, it cannot touch the life that is at the root of all of these things. Praise God for that. And so t today, my simple word for you is to be reminded that you are more than a conqueror. A conqueror defeats an enemy, but someone that is more than a conqueror, I reckon, has the ability to convert the enemy. And so the pain that we experience, when it is conquered, it transforms into a strength in our lives. The sorrow, once we've done the grind, the soul-searching, the hard work, has the ability to transform into a joy that is stronger and deeper. 
The famine transforms into a feast as we start to appreciate the small things that we used to take for granted. The nakedness becomes blessedness. The sword transforms into peace. By overcoming and converting these enemies, we become stronger and more rooted to fight, to fight every battle that comes against us through Christ's love. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heart nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Be encouraged. You are loved deeply and powerfully by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Haley, welcome to the pulpit. God bless and enjoy. So when I want to grow up, I want to be just like Richard. Absolutely, I love his shepherding heart. So Richard said that we're going to a go-to scripture in light of what we have faced um, this last week. But I'm going to a go-to person. There's a person, a character in the Bible that has been my absolute go-to person because they exemplify, there are things in their life that exemplify victory. And in 1 Samuel 27, we see um, David, he makes a decision to leave Israel. And why he just chooses to do that is because of Saul's constant attempts on, and attacks on his life. So this decision leads him to a place called Gath, which is actually the nation of the Philistines. So he takes his family and 600 men that follow him. They all go down to Gath. When he gets there, the king gives David and the 600 men the city of Ziglag to settle in. So for a period of a year, David is safe. He is secure. He's living in Ziglag. A year later in 2 Samuel 29, the, the king of Gath goes to war against the Israelites and David joins him on this expedition of war. But when they rally into battle, the leaders of Philistine, they say, no, we need to send you back, David. We're not sure. You, you, you a Jew. You a Hebrew boy. We're not sure if you're going to stand by us in this battle. We would prefer if you go back to Ziglag. So David and his 600 men make the journey back to Ziglag. And this journey is a three-day journey. In 1 Samuel 30, we see that after war, Walking for three days, David and his 600 men arrive at the city of Ziglag, but they arrive to something that horrifies them. In their absence, the Amalekites had a raid on the city of Ziglag. Their city was burnt. Their city was looted. Not only was it burnt, not only was it looted, but the families were kidnapped. So they got there to find a burnt city, a looted city. There were no animals. There were no cattle. There was no daughter. There was no wife. They had been taken captive. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 that the people, the men, that was men, they were so distressed that they cried. They wept until there was nothing left. No strength in them to weep. And I can imagine, of course I would weep if my kid is gone, taken by the Amalekites, and they were a wicked nation. Now, added to all this that is going on, David is facing a burnt down city, a family that's been kidnapped. His men are angry with him. They say, David, it was your idea that we go and we join in this battle. And now it's your fault. We are angry with you. They began to speak of stoning David. David is in equal distress. David is feeling emotions unspeakable at his burnt city and his kidnapped family. But added to that, the men that he had treated so well are now saying, David, we are going to stone you. In 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, this is what it says. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit. It is incredible what hardships can do to us. These men were bitter in spirit. 
because of their sons and their daughters. But 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 goes on to say this, but David found strength in the Lord. And the scripture that I've read to you is from the NIV. But the new or the King James Version actually says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Can you imagine this with me? The men are weeping, they're cursing, they're blaming David, they're talking rebellion. They're, we're gonna kill you, dude, because of what you've done. What does David do? He pulls over to the side. Can you imagine that with me? He's sitting in the dust, he's crying. Tears are streaming down his face. He's singing quietly. He's praying quietly to himself and the Lord. In this moment, he chooses to connect with the Lord himself so that he can find strength to go on. And Quaker tradition calls this centering down. David knew how to center down into who God is. He knew how to find encouragement in God. How did he do this? He did this by prayer and praise. Prayer enabled David to pour out everything that was in his heart. Read the Psalms. David always told God what he was feeling. But it also shifted his focus. When he began to praise, it shifted his focus from the bigness of the problem to the bigness of the omnipotent God that he serves. There are 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, and of the 150, David wrote 73. Let's have a look at one of them to understand how did David encourage himself in the Lord. In Psalm 33, there's a Psalm that he writes at the cave of Abdullam. But the background of this Psalm is he's just run for his life. Once again, an enemy threatened his life. The king of Gath had threatened his life. And they said, isn't this David, one of Saul's mighty warriors in our camp? We should kill him. To save the skin on his back, he decided to act mad. He dribbled, he drew on the sand, he actually allowed spit to drip down his beard. Can you imagine? A, a man who was promised to be king of a nation being put in a situation like this. The king looks at him and says, I have no time for this foolishness. Get out of my sight. David gets up and runs for his little life and he ends up in the cave of Abdullam. I can imagine after behaving like a madman and allowing spit to drip, the, the, the spit was barely drying in his beard. But it actually says that when people heard that David was at the cave of Abdullam, they joined him, the distressed, the unhappy, the ones that were in debt, those that were not happy with Saul's leadership. But let me read Psalm 34, 1. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. I will extol him. I will lift him up at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. Verse 3 actually says this. Let he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So in the cave of Abdullam, just after running, acting like a madman, he's sitting with 400 discontent men. He looks at them. He looks at himself. He says, come on, boys. We're all going to look to Jesus and we're going to lift him up. And that's what he says. And that's how David found strength. He found strength by lifting up Jesus' name and who Jesus is in every situation that he finds. Now, this is what we know for the rest of 1 Samuel 30. So after he encourages himself in the Lord. He says, priest, Abiathar, give me the ephod. In the Old Testament, the ephod was used to seek direction from the Lord. He says, God, do I go after the Amalekites? God says, yes, boy, go get him. David gets up. He rallies 400 men. They go into battle. They go after the Amalekites. Three days journey to Ziglag. They're tired. They're exhausted. They go and they go after the Amalekites. And guess what? The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 30. 18 to 19, David recovered everything that the Malachites had taken. Nothing was missing, not even the little ewe that they probably stole along with the cattle. 
How did he go from despair? How did he go from how can this happen to my family to I'm going after the enemy? You know what he did? He praised. He lifted up Jesus. Sometimes there's nothing that encourages us. Nothing to the left, nothing to the right. But there's a God, an unchangeable God, that as we begin to say, this is who you are, in the midst of this, faith begins to rise to fight every battle. So go into this week being surely, surely convinced of an awesome, omnipotent God who is your God. Good morning, church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us online and for the few that are here. We are super stoked and super encouraged already this morning. Uh, definitely Haley. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, got me fired up. But like everybody, we've also been through our fair share over the past couple of weeks. And for us, it started the week before all the mayhem and craziness in KZN started. It was our little one who's two and a half years old that felt sick. And for a few days, she got progressively worse and worse. And I prayed and laid hands like we would normally do. And nothing was changing. And so the Sunday before the Monday, <laughs> we got her to another doctor, got more medication, and still, by that afternoon, nothing was going right. And then it felt like Monday night into, uh, Sunday night, sorry, into Monday night, all hell broke loose. And so we were standing there as parents, absolutely lost, in that we couldn't do anything else for our little one. We got all the meds that we could. We were even running out of medication. Where we lived, it was a bit crazy. We even had to pack a bag to make a run. We were not sure what the situation was. Already we had not slept for about five nights in a row. And anybody can tell you when you don't sleep for five nights in a row, you start making some crazy decisions. <laughs> and so my wife and I stood together. And like she said, at the moment where we had nowhere to go, no one to turn to, we stood with tears in our eyes, holding each other, and we turned to God. And he wasn't our last resort, because I had been already praying. It was now we were at a moment of, it's over God, and we have nothing left. And in that moment, Everything you've ever learned in church and every scripture you've ever come across sometimes is not making sense at all. Remember, not sleeping for five nights. And so, with everything in me, and possibly some of the last breaths that I could take, these words and this scripture came to my mind, and I believe God had reminded me of this. And it's 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, and it goes like this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And as I prayed, I prayed these words. God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And here Paul speaks about three things that the Spirit gives us when he comes to us. Power. And my mind just ran to the Holy Spirit and what that's like. 
In Acts chapter uh, 1 and verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It was talking about being a witness, but I believe there is a power that comes with the Holy Spirit that resurrects us up in these kind of moments as he did Jesus from the tomb. It is the same power that rose Lazarus up. It is the same power that healed the blind and the sick, caused the lame to walk. It is the same power that lives in us today. And when we speak and when we command, and when we declare, this power becomes alive in us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and affords us the awesome privilege of becoming children of God. And what does that actually mean to be a child of God? The daddy of all daddies, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the creator, the great I am is on your side. That's what it means to have the daddy on your side and be called a child of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. The second, love. My mind runs to Jesus immediately. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says, May you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be full to the measure of all fullness of God. The scripture is talking about us taking a moment in everything that's going on to understand or try, try in our absolute small minds and abilities and capacity to figure out how much of love God actually has for us. We sang, I've never been more loved than I am right now. And that's an absolute and total truth, church. You are loved more than anything in this world. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, whoever's watching right now, you are loved by Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price and died for you. He shed his blood that you will be free today. Oh, the love of Jesus. In this moment where we feel like almost we've been abandoned, left for ruins, remember that there's a dad out there that loves you. A sound mind. It talks about, there's some other words that the Bible uses or different versions speaks about self-discipline. But for me, it meant peace. In the eye of the storm, when all hell was breaking loose, I could turn to nobody else but Jesus to find a peace like the world does not give. John 14, 27 goes like this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Wow. God, this kind of peace, no amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of friends, no amount of anything can give us in this, in this moment right now. It's the peace of God that will calm you and center you in the storm. It seems for many out there, and I, I've had 
oh man, the, the opportunity to drive out and see some of the areas that have been hit the hardest. Factories and businesses burnt to the ground. And my heart cried out, and Lord, what do these people do? And all and everything in me could only ask is, Lord, give peace. When we lose someone, someone so dear to us, you might have lost people during this time. You might have lost a business. You might have lost everything, your home. You could have lost anything. I want to just pray and ask God for his peace over you right now. There's some other scriptures that came to my mind as we were praying. And Hebrews 13.5 says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Guys, we are not abandoned. We are not left alone. God is still there. He's still on our side. In Hebrews 13.8 it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it before, he will do it again. If he promised you before, he will promise it again. He said, I will never leave you. And I completely trust this. Because he's never left his people throughout the history of mankind. Even when Adam and Eve failed, God was still there to send a plan to deliver them. Even when the Israelites went through their ups and downs and humanity went through their ups and downs and even in the New Testament, after Jesus came, died and showed his word to the world, still people fail and fail and fail and we fail and fail every day. But he says, I am the same yesterday, today and forever. I've done it for you before and I will do it again. And I believe with all my heart this morning, that if we would just take the time to ponder on the scripture, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. May it encourage you and strengthen you this morning for the rest of the journey that we are about to take. To rebuild, stand together, and support one another in our faith. Thank you so much, and I pray God bless you with all my heart. This morning, it is an absolute privilege to call up the next speaker, and that's Cindy. God bless you. Tyron, wow. What an encouragement from the Lord through you today. Thank you. So like many of you, and as Tyron said, we struggled with sleep over the last two weeks. And early one morning at about 3 o'clock, I woke up and um, couldn't go back to sleep. And so I thought, as is my habit to try and fall asleep again, let me read my daily devotion. So I picked up my daily devotion, and it was Exodus 37, um, and it, it was just like a really tough reading that I was hoping to be encouraged, but it speaks about uh, specific detailed specifications, the shape, the, the size, and the materials for three pieces of furniture. And I thought, yo, this is going to put me to sleep, but I was too tired to read, so I put it down and tried to go back to sleep didn't work and I thought okay let me persevere with this devotion it should work to get me back to sleep but it was incredible how God uses something visual to teach us something true about himself the first five devotion um, how do I get through this by Kimberly Henderson on this passage was so encouraging it's about three pieces of furniture uh, a table a lampstand and the altar of incense they are placed in the holy place in the tent of meeting. And they encourage us and give us the strength we need. 
The table held the gold plates and the dishes, but it also held the 12 breads of the presence. And these 12 breads were to show God's faithfulness to his covenant to all 12 tribes of Israel. They were also a daily reminder as the priest walked past them of God's provision to all 12 tribes on a daily basis. We need reminders of God's provision for us. When food shortages are real, when you're struggling and worrying about your cash flow in your business, it was bad before COVID, it's worse now. When you're wondering about, will I get a paycheck at the end of the month? Will I even find a job? We need to be reminded by this table and the bread of the presence that he and he alone, not our businesses, not our clients, not our bosses, not our stores or our government, none of those are our provider. When God removes these supports we have, uh, in the first week of this unrest, thinking to myself, I can't get money out of the ATM to buy fresh produce. I can't get petrol. I can't go to the stores. God removed all of those supports. And he said to me, Cindy, I'm the same God who provided for the Israelites in the desert. They couldn't farm. They couldn't go to stores. I provided for them 40 years, day and night. Their clothes never ran out and they were never hungry. I'm the same God. God will provide for us now. The table and the bread of, of his presence reminds us that he provides. And then the lampstand, it was beautifully made of hammered gold. And it was created to provide a constant source of light. The priests had to go and tend to it day and night so that it remained lit. D.K. Stewart says, In all probability, having the lights on meant then much the same that it means now. Someone's home. In this case, symbolically, Yahweh was home among his people. What security? As they looked at that tent, that tabernacle, they would see the lights glowing warmly all night, knowing it symbolized God was present with them in their camp. Guys, he's present with you and I 24-7. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, our patrollers were incredible. But they grow tired. They need to sleep. Bible tells us he never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's present with us to protect us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to lead us, to counsel us, to help us, to hold us. And so when you think of that lampstand, think that God is always at home with us. And then the altar of incense. Incense would be burned on the altar twice a day. And as that fragrance and smoke would fold up to heaven, it would be associated with the prayers of God's people. Over the last two weeks, if we could have seen in the spiritual realm the incense of prayers going up to the throne of Almighty God on behalf of South Africa, here in, in KZN, in the rest of the country, in all of the world, people praying. That smoke going up before God's throne would have been far more than the smoke of the factories. Be encouraged. When I called, the psalmist says, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. 
Another version says something like, as I spoke, you heard, you encouraged me by giving me the strength I need. God hears, he answers our prayers. He provides, we've seen miraculous things done in the last two weeks. Protection, provision, help, encouragement, strength, comfort when facing heartbreak. God hears our prayers. I wanna encourage you, when we're in difficult times, we forget these things. We need visual reminders. That's why I believe God uses these symbolic pieces of furniture to point us to truth. Perhaps take a small table, a lamp or a candle, a picture of bread, and some perfume or incense. Put it somewhere very visible so that you can remember God is your provider. God is an ever-present help. God hears our prayers. And as you look at this furniture, note it points to an ultimate truth that all of these are true in Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. In him, we are nourished. We are strengthened. We have everything we need for life and godliness and eternal life. Jesus is the light of the world. He tells you and I, my word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. And his light overcomes the darkness. Isaiah says, your sun will never set again and your moon will never wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. And then he is the one who makes intercession for us. He lives to intercede for you and I daily. Be encouraged in Jesus. So we've preached four little sermonettes today. I don't know about you, but I could actually take a long time over each one. I want to encourage you, maybe in the week ahead, rewind Go back to each sermon and meditate on that scripture, on that truth, and be encouraged. But don't keep it to yourself. Share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Share it with our community who don't have the hope we have. Be encouraged. And be encouragers. Let me pray for you while the worship team comes up. Lord, we are so, so thankful that we've had you with us as our ever-present help in the last two weeks. Your word to encourage us, your prayers, prayers to you to strengthen us, give us the help we needed, each other to love and encourage. Uh, Lord, we would be nowhere without you. Thank you, thank you for all you have done in and for us in the last two weeks. We are so grateful. And as you've encouraged us in your word today, Lord, we don't want to be like the Israelites in the desert who kept forgetting what you'd done for them. Father, plant your word deep in our hearts and in our lives so that we will remember what you've done in the past that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
and we can always find hope and joy and peace and encouragement in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.